Well, hello, guys, and welcome to another episode. Which number is this, Gabby? I think it's episode number 14. We think it's episode number 14 of the Encore podcast. <laughs> Chris McCoy here. I really should keep better track. I need to get an abacus or something up here in the recording room. <laughs> episode 14. Boy, we've come a long way. We that's have. Like, that's like two. If we did it every day, it would be, we'd be like two weeks into it by now. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been doing this for 14 weeks now, if you want to put it on a larger scale. There you go. All right. So anyway, we're here. And let me ask you a question first, Gab. Is there anybody, I mean, anybody famous or none that you would love to talk to on this podcast? Someone Ooh. that maybe, I don't know, maybe it could be like a friend or a mentor or maybe a famous person or both. Ooh, if I could have somebody on, I think that I'd want to have on Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett? I didn't know you were a parrot head. Oh, come on. You know, you know, your brother and your sister-in-law. We used to listen to that CD all the time when we were kids. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I had no idea that, that Jimmy Buffett would be so high up on your list <laughs> that he would take precedence over everybody that on this planet. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think he has turned an empire out of just wanting to relax and have a good time. So I think that's why I would want to talk to him. Also, I'd like to talk to him wherever he's currently vacationing, because that sounds like just a, a double bonus there. <laughs> you know, but, I, I mean, he literally sings songs about wanting to relax and makes a lot of money and has really made a, a cool name in life for himself. So I think I'd want to interview him. Well, he sure has. And, you know, I did talk to Jimmy Buffett. I interviewed Jimmy Buffett on the telephone. Oh, did you? Yeah. Years ago when I was working at B101 in the morning. Oh, cool. I can't remember what, oh, I think he had, he had just, or was about to publish his second book, A Pirate Looks at 40, I think it was, or <laughs> Pirate Looks at whatever. So they set up an interview and he was somewhere on the beach, somewhere literally on a beach somewhere in the Caribbean when we connected it was just, you know, I, I have to admit, I, you know, I appreciate Jimmy Buffett's good time music and all of that, but I'm not a parrot head. I've never, I've never seen him live. So I guess in a way it's kind of unfair that I got to interview him, you know, where there's so many other people that would, you know, practically kill for that opportunity. <laughs> but, you know, he was just so easygoing and just such a regular guy and no pretense at all. And just exactly like what you're saying, Gab. It sounded like he was, I know he was on the beach, but it sounded like he was in, in a hammock strung between two palm trees when he was mm -hmm. talking to me. And at the time, <clears throat> excuse me, I was doing a feature on the morning show called The Impossible Question. It was a big deal, but way back when everybody's doing it now. So I got him involved and I said, uh, Jimmy, uh, we're going to do The Impossible Question in a few minutes. Would you like to read the question? And he said, Chris, what do you mean the apostle question? I said, no, not the apostle question. <laughs> there could only be what? 12 answers to that one. <laughs> so he thought I said apostle question after I explained it to him, uh, he agreed to it. I mean, it was a cool morning. It, mm -hmm. You know, it turned into, uh, I be, I really became a Jimmy Buffett fan after that, after that experience of talking to him, but yeah, he was, uh, it was great. So I'm, you know, I'm sorry you didn't get a chance to interview him and I did, but you know, that's, I had a radio show at the time and you didn't. You're right. I was a, a child, so I don't know that I should have been <laughs> interviewing Jimmy Buffett. Anyway, you are inspiring me that we should start doing this show from a beach somewhere in the Caribbean. So <laughs> would be nice. 
It would certainly be nice. I've, I've done broadcasts from the Caribbean at different uh, resorts and stuff. And, uh, but that was certainly different, you know? Um, okay. So Jimmy Buffett is the person you would most like to interview. What would you ask him? What would be the first question? Did he find his last shaker of salt? <laughs> I don't think that thing has ever turned up to be honest, you know, speaking of the lyrics to uh, Margaritaville, all those years I used to sing, I thought it was he stepped on a pop tart, and I thought, yeah, Ooh, that that's kind of gooey. It would, you know, especially if it was a you know a sandy beach. And actually looked up the lyrics and found out that I was wrong all those years. I'm glad I didn't sing it to him back then when I was interviewing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the first question I would probably ask him is just if this is if this was the plan all along, if this was the career he wanted to make, or if he had a different idea when he got started. So I don't know. I mean, he does, he has either turned into a, quite a businessman with all kinds of great business acumen, or he's got somebody handling that for him uh, or both, you or know. both. Uh, but for someone so laid back and so uh, invested in having a good time, I, I would imagine he's probably a, I know he's a multimillionaire, but he could be a billionaire at this point when you consider all the, the Margaritavilles around the planet now, right? Yeah, he seems like someone that takes his business very seriously, but doesn't take himself too seriously. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. How about you? Is there someone that uh, in this whole world that you would want to pick for an interview? Yeah, on the podcast. Yep. It would be somebody who's not as well known as Jimmy Buffett, uh, but he, you know, he is kind of known, especially in the Philadelphia area. And uh, he and I happen to have been friends now for 48 years. I did the math. I first met this guy 48 years ago when I was working at my very first radio job down in Vineland, New Jersey. And he was working for, it wasn't his first radio job. I think it was his second. He was working for a competitor in Millville. They're, they're both towns in Cumberland County, New Jersey. Look at your map and you'll see that we were really out in the sticks somewhere <laughs> the two of us, before we got to Philly. But yeah, we met. Maybe we'll talk about the circumstances as to how we met. It was it was a pretty cool meeting. We have been friends ever since. And as I said, that was more now than 48 years ago. I'm going to talk with Mike Bow, my friend, Mike Bow. He's coming up next on the Encore Podcast. Welcome back to the Encore Podcast. He is my longtime best friend, the best man at my wedding, godfather mm -hmm. to my oldest daughter. Did I leave anything out, Mike Bo? You were in my wedding. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to forget that, though. It was, uh, you know, we're going on 50 years now. You and I as friends. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, in 24, we'll be, we've known each other for 50 years. I think we had to celebrate that somehow. I mean, we can't let that 50th anniversary, that golden anniversary go by without some sort of celebration. Don't you agree? Yeah, I agree. Assuming, uh, 100%. We, both, assuming we both make it two years. We could future. go to the Borgata like we did a few years ago. This guy here is very generous. Don't tell Roberta, but uh, we spent a lot of money that we want a lot to spend on. And mostly your money. Well, I was just I, along for the ride, sort of. <laughs> I was on a hot streak that night. As I you recall. were uh, yeah. incredible. Yeah, it was fun. But you know what? If I had gone with anybody else, I wouldn't have had that hot streak. You were kind of the rabbit's foot for me that night, if nothing and else. And that was the night with the flow. 
<laughs> we had rented a room or we got one for free at the Borgata and Chris went to the, uh, you know, the men's room and I was trying to sleep. The flow that he had was incredible. Woke me up looking at a guy that has <laughs> to sit down now. And, uh... You know, we were both a lot younger than Mike. That was, uh, yeah. like... you have not aged at all. <laughs> you, you make me sick. Problem is I look like this when I was 18. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's amazing. or you pay at the end, you know, <laughs> you know, that the time that uh, your wife, Roberta, the picture on Facebook uh, of us from uh, 30 years ago at that time mm-hmm. till re- today, was a great uh, shot. You have not changed at all. Not at all. You need to have your eyes checked there, Bo. I'm telling you, really. <laughs> look, at him, look, at, look at him, everybody. Look at him. He got all his hair. Mike, they can't see us. They, they, oh, they can't they see can't. us. I'm not sure. It's a podcast. I'll tell you what we'll do, though. We'll post that picture. The picture that you mentioned, we'll post that picture. Yeah, um, I think that people yeah. get a kick out of that. Let's go back a little bit, because you and I, as you already mentioned, we go back a long, long way. I don't have anybody else in my life, friends or otherwise, aside from siblings that I've known for 50 years. I mean, this is just, it's just crazy. You know, people, uh, friendships sometimes just kind of melt away as time goes on. People change, their needs change, uh, who they are somewhat changes. But you and I, we're the same schlumps we were back <laughs> in 1974. Well, we were, I think we were lucky because we found are calling early in life. I mean, you knew you wanted to be uh, what you became, and I knew I that's what I wanted. I think that the, the job is part of the reason why the friendship is so strong. And the fact that I remember when I was in the military, you know, I made friends, and I'm sure people can relate to the fact that what happens is, like in the military, for example, you make friends, and then, as you say, life takes you wherever it takes you. And uh, I always read regretted the fact that I didn't keep in touch with the military people. I got out of the service back when I first met you. I was only out maybe a year or two, and I made the decision that I was going to make sure that I kept in touch with you through thick and thin. And uh, and basically, we've been lucky enough to work in our, where we're from, made it a, a, a heck of a lot easier. People in radio, uh, they do a lot of traveling. Yeah. But we were fortunate enough to uh, to be on the air in our home base in our hometown uh, yeah. i was born in philly you were born in a, a little what three-bedroom house in uh, gloucester yeah. city new jersey a bungalow mike, yeah mike was actually born at home his, yeah it was <laughs> uh, my mother had four other kids yeah. she didn't want to leave them so that's why that happened and i got a feeling i was uh, unexpected pleasant surprise i was pleasant surprise yeah when i was born I was the you know, last one. I'm the youngest five. And my brother and I are separated by 16 years. Your oldest brother and you. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Now, that, three brothers is, and one sister. That is a surprise. It's yeah. <laughs> not to mention a feat of science, I would imagine. But, you know, when your mother had you and everything turned out okay, she probably thought, now, why did we have the other four in the hospital and spend all that money? We could have just had them at home. I don't think that was going through her mind. It was a lot of ah, going on. So she uh, had other things on her mind. And the other neat thing about the birth was the fact that the doctor that birthed me, I was his first. Wow. A Dr. Dickensheets, who later be- became a big shot over at Burhaz. 
And what about your birth doc? Go ahead, tell him. I, no, I don't know who my birth doctor was. I, if, if you're talking about when I had surgery, I was born with a hernia. So, my, you know, I was crying all the time. Yeah. And most babies do that. But anyway, I guess I was crying more than normal babies would have. So my mother and father decided to take me to the uh, pediatrician and say, hey, what's wrong with this kid? Why is he always crying? So they checked me out. It turned out I had a hernia. They said he needs to have surgery as soon as possible. I was nine months old. Don't remember any of this, luckily. But the surgeon who did it became the surgeon, surgeon general Surgeon general of the United States years later. And now I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he was. Oh my God! I was hoping you. He was the guy with the beard. You know, he had that weird beard. beard. Was it Everett Coop? Yes, see Everett Coop. Hey, look at Gabby. (laughs) That's exactly right. Yeah, I'm here for. He was a young man when he did surgery on me as a nine-month-old baby and uh, patched up my hernia. I'd like to think that it was that experience that uh, got him the gig. Uh, with oh, yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah. You and I had really did have kind of uh, similar paths to getting in. We both went to, uh, I, I was going to uh, Kem County College. I was looking at maybe being a psychologist, studying psychology at the time. And you were going to, what was it, Brown? Brown Institute of Broadcasting in Minneapolis. <laughs> okay. In the service, believe it or not. I came home uh, after a tour in Vietnam. I was stationed at Fort Carson, Colorado. And of course, you know, every place I went, I was always glued to the radio. And I heard this guy, Crazy Kylie, he called himself. Really entertaining. It was on the weekends. And it turns out he was stationed at Fort Carson, Colorado. And as fate would have it, I bumped into him at the chow line. We sat down and, and I listened to you every weekend. You're crazy, Kylie. I can't believe it. And he was like me. He was a spec four and he did radio on the weekend. So I said, you know, I always wanted to do it. I'm going to look into it when I get out. I had 15 months to go. And he said, hey, come on over and see the setup. So I did talk during his show. It was really terrific. And he said, look, I know you're going to get out of service. You'll be 21 years old. College is going to push you to 25, 26 before you even get started. He said, I can give you the name of a a broadcast school that I went to. So he gives me the Brown Institute thing. He was from uh, one of the Dakotas, I think. We, We sent them a letter or I sent them a letter. They wrote me back and said, we'd have to hear what you sound like. They sent me a script. And he was so kind. He he had me read the script in KYSN, Kissin AM in Colorado Springs. And he helped me make the tape. I sent the tape. They accepted me, but they said, you have to come here. Because at the time, you'll remember, we had the, the Columbia School of Broadcasting. The Long John Wade had some kind of... American uh, Academy. I didn't know how legit they were. or So I went... The thing that bothered me was I got out of the service and then I had to fly and leave again for another year to go to Brown Institute. But it all worked out. I loved it at Brown. I loved it at Minneapolis. All the teachers were weekend weathercasters on TV stations in Minneapolis. The graduates from Brown Institute were, when they graduated, they got jobs in Minneapolis or the Dakotas, Wisconsin, no, Iowa. It was a one-year course, and then uh, they helped you make a, uh, an air check. Mm-hmm. After you graduated, when I came home, I sent the air check to every station in the phone book. I went in the phone book and, and I got so one we, answer. And who was that? And and was it positive? 
it was WRDR, which is now Sojo in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. 104, Nine. Jim Rodeo and John Runfalo. I loved it because they had an AM and an FM. The AM was more like a middle of the road, if you remember that format. Yeah. It's like a WIP for the right. 70s. Yes. Oh, that was on the AM and the FM was lush and lively. WRDR. FM. That was that was the way they did it back then. <laughs> they didn't really utilize FM like they do now. Everything no. everything interesting was on AM. It gave me the uh, experience of both AM and FM. I enjoyed it. It was an eight-hour day, four hours on each uh, station. Then I got out. I, you know, the service. I was uh, I had a little. I didn't have a chip. I just didn't take much from people. And the owner got on me one day, for, I, and I said, "Who do you think you're yelling at?" You know? And I said, "I get, you got your two weeks' notice." You know. So and the two weeks came, and I told him, "I'll see you." He goes, "You were you weren't kidding about that?" I said, "No, nah, nobody talks to me that way." So I got out of radio. I wound up working before the midnight shift at Eager Beaver Trailers. Eager. These Beaver are the trailers, trailers. that carry the heavy equipment you see on the highways you know? mm-hmm. they'll bring the tractors but they'll be on a bed the wide load trailers okay yeah, yeah. we made those eager beaver there's still some of them around it's, <laughs> it's closed since but then i lost part of my finger at that job and i decided maybe this isn't for me and then john runfalo the program director that hired me at, in hammond mm-hmm. he called me and said we, I really think you should give radio a try again. So I said, okay. He gave me a guy's name in Millville, Jim Quinn, who's still in Millville. He's been the mayor of that town for twice since I left. And he's now a Cumberland County freehold. He owns his own broadcasting thing and terrific guy. But I was only on uh, overnight for maybe three weeks. Secretary, she mentioned me to the general manager, said, have you heard the guy overnight? And he said, no. Why would I listen overnight? (laughs) And she said, because you're wasting them away. Never forget Harriet Leach. Next thing I knew, I was on in the afternoons and I worked with Charlie Mills, who I ran into when we got to Philly. And uh, we worked together in Millville for about three years. And then 950 WPEN, the oldies station, when it first came on, it was 1975. I always wanted to do oldies radio. I mean, I just really... You know, like when you grew 50s, 60s, and 70s at the mm-hmm. time, because we were in the 70s then. This is 1976, I think. I'm in Millville for three years, and I uh, send a, a an air check to Peter Mockover. He got the, the tape, and he said, uh, I like your presentation. He says, your voice is different than... And I'd be getting a lot of that, you know, you're different. You're, and I didn't think it was, I wouldn't, I wanted to sound like you. I mean, you can work anywhere. Me? No, not so much. So he said, but you're a little too down for us. Meaning I didn't have enough energy, you know. Right. I took that to mean I didn't scream loud enough. So he said, but we have a station down the hallway. It's called Magic. You mind if I give it to program director there, Dave Clare? I said, do I mind? No, I don't mind at all. Like that would happen today. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't even and been talking did. to Peter back if it was today. There's no way that would have happened. No. I, it's just uh, the way it doesn't uh, happen anymore. Dave Claire wound up calling me the next day and I was on the air. I got so excited, you know, I said, hold on a minute, because I had to do a, a segue. And the, I was talking, I was so busy talking to him that all you heard was the 
<laughs> of the uh, needle on the record. Oh, right. <laughs> I said, holy sh-. I thought I blew it then. I didn't say holy sh-. Right on the microphone. And oh, it was embarrassing. And then I figured that's it for him. So he says, Mike, I only have the only thing I have. I said, I'll take it. I didn't even let him finish his thought. And it was a Sunday from uh, six to midnight, six hours. I loved it. I mean, it was all ballads. It was soft rock. Hadn't really made an impact yet. Soft rock at that time was shut up and play the music because everybody was talking. Mm -hmm. I do this, I do that, uh, including MMR. YSP at the time. People didn't want to get, well, there was a segment of audience that didn't care how many kids you had, where you went to school, or I'm here at the Who concert, you know. (laughs) So they just wanted to get away. And that's why magic was so popular because of that fact. We didn't talk a lot. The magic was the music. That was the name of the, that's the thing we sold. As time went on, I worked seven-day week. I was in Millville for six days in MGK on Sundays. I did that for about a year. And then one of the uh, guys was being promoted. Peter Booker was the midday guy. Julian Breen decided to make him a program director out in Detroit. So he left, and now there was an opening. There was a guy in front of me, Gary Balaban, going to Temple at the time, and I figured, well, it's it's him, and then maybe I can ask. Well, he couldn't do it. So I went into Dave Clare and asked if he'd consider me to replace Peter. And that's what happened. What day part was this again? It was on at night. Okay, so you went on, you, you got on at what, 6, 6 yeah, p.m.? They, they had a guy, uh, Chris Gable was on in the midday, and they brought in this guy, Bob Craig, from uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, somewhere there. Yeah, he was uh, he was on the air, I think, in uh, he lived in Mass, but he was on the air in Hartford, I believe, right? Hartford. WHDH, something Something like that. Huge AM station. But Bob came in and he was going to take MGK to the next level, which was a mix of pop music and what we have been doing. He was going to phase out some of the stuff that we were playing, a lot of the folk music and replace it with current artists but album cuts. And really, uh, I loved it. It was a nice transition. I didn't think I was going to make it, though, because, you know, the consultants, they hire these consultants and they come in, they listen to your station and they evaluate the music, presentation. And every time they had a consultant, the consultant always said, the guy at night, I (laughs) understand But greater media never gave up on me, or there was something about me to this day, I still don't know what it was, that they stuck with me. And Bob Craig, I think, was getting ready to give me the hevo. I had a uh, meeting with Julia Green. He said, look, Mike, you have to pick up the pay. He gave me some pointers. He said, or you're going to be gone. This was over drinks at Franny O'Brien's, which was up to, that was my hangout for many years. Everybody, all, all the TV station people, all the radio people in Philadelphia hung out at Fran O'Brien's. That's, that's where yeah, that's went. Well, that advice, I went in to a different gear. When Bob came, he had brought uh, Jack Becker with him. Jack Becker was a guy that was on this Natural 92. I guess he brought him because he knew how to present the mm-hmm. format and we were to listen to him and follow his lead. And then he left. He was getting ready to leave. Bob Craig decides he's going to give us four hours shifts mm-hmm. from six. So Tom was getting ready to come down from Maine. And I went in and said, do you mind if I'd like to do the afternoons? So 
I wound up, I did get, I got the afternoons, Tom got nights. And that's when you were down the hall at WPEN. And at that time they were playing standards and you weren't a standard kind of guy. Yeah. Well, you didn't like it. I didn't know it. I really didn't know it. Yeah. So they let you go. You were out of work for like five seconds. (laughs) You walked down the hallway. Bob Craig said, Chris, can I see you for a minute? Jack Becker is gone. Chris McCoy is hired. B-101 went from, and you were there for years, B-101 went from beautiful music to what we were doing and didn't lose any audience. No. I'd always surprised. And you had Kiss 100 yeah. and Magic. You had four stations doing the same thing. Something had to give. B-101 really came out a winner. They said, look, we got four stations doing the same thing. Uh, we're going to bail. Magic was going to bail. I didn't know any of this. I had spent 15 years at Magic, and I was like, uh, mm. in uh, 1992, crushed. I was crushed. Best job I ever had. Best, best people. People call it, call it Camelot at the time. I still hear that occasionally when we mm-hmm. do a reunion or something. I mean, it was just everybody was at the right place at the right time. And the vibe was undeniable. I mean, it was the music was the key, and then the was us yeah yeah we had our own clothing line for a while yeah. remember that i do shirts? remember that yeah and the, uh, the jeans yeah and we they would send us downtown to wanamakers yeah stand in the window yeah with the mannequin yeah. notice the fine stitching on the <laughs> rhinestones of this beautiful magic shirt that was unbelievable but then uh, you know like all good things uh, was coming to an end and it got rid of me and i went to kiss 100 with uh, sue serio it was me and sue serio who introduced you to delilah but was it for us you would have never heard of her. that's true her. that that's is right. true yes it's all she your place both of us you got, got wait, wait, you, you, you got to step got back it. for a minute delilah now is like she's all over she's on every radio station at night practically in everywhere every yeah. grocery store you go into it's yeah. that's what you're hearing at no matter what state you're in at nighttime yeah. at the grocery store you hear delilah but at the time she was she was not as big as she is now she was you know someone who was just a single talent working for a single radio station this that's right before, this was before someone took her and put her on all these other radio stations and you know the logic behind that was delilah was in boston and killing us we had a station in Boston called Magic, and she was killing us at night. The Brain Trust said, well, just get pull her out of Boston and bring her down to Philly. That ends that. And our rating shot right up soon as she left Boston. So it was a win-win for the station. Right. And Delilah, but a lose situation for me and Sue. So I get a call from KISS 100, and they say, well, can you come in? Uh, and I talked to the program director at the time, uh, Lloyd Roach, I think his name was. Nice man. He offered me afternoons. uh, And he said, uh, I said, you know, Sue Serio is uh, not working either. I don't know if you know who Sue is, but they knew. So they had hired a consultant. uh, And now here we go with the consultant again. (laughs) That's what I said. You got to love him. You got to love consultants. (laughs) He listens to all of us. He says, I want the Sue Serio and the guy on in the afternoons. See, I didn't even have a name at that time for this guy. He said, I want them on in the morning because there's something there. I, unbeknownst to me and Sue, uh, we sat in for Hillary and Dennis. Yes. Yeah. And uh, here they were going to be fired. They didn't know it. I didn't know it. So we wound up at KISS 100. We're there. We're at KISS 100 for six months. 
And then somebody changed format in town and Kiss 100 shot right for that format. And they're going to go to adult, alternate adult. It was like uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. And, yeah. And, and they, didn't they hire Preston and Steve? Um, yeah. Yeah. You would have never play. heard of. You would yeah. have never heard of Preston and Steve yeah. if it wasn't for me and Sue Serio. So <laughs> we brought Preston and Steve and Delilah in town. Uh-huh. Um, so I know that you sort of hinted at it while you were talking, but um, do you want to tell our listeners about, you know, how you guys became friends? Chris and I met in 1974. Uh, I was at a radio station in Millville. He was in Vineland. He called the station where I was working and asked me if I could run some news because his machine you know they used to have these upi machines they go and ap yeah the news station still use that noise and we had one they had one and theirs broke so i said sure i didn't know him he didn't know me i said you know we're adversaries we're not supposed to be helping each other out like this who do you think you are calling me uh, like i'm going to help you but i helped him anyway i went over there and i dropped <laughs> off the news and that's when I first laid eyes on him. And we spoke for well, a good half hour. He was very pleasant. I liked him right away. I got a good feel from him, good vibe. And uh, that's the first time we met. And this, the next time we met was when I was walking from the uh, kitchen at WMGK to the studio. And he was walking toward the WPEN studio. And we both looked at each other and went, yo, I went to me, yeah, it's you. <laughs> we were generally happy to see each other. Yeah, yeah, we were. I mean, I remember when I when I was working at BZ in Violin and you were at MBB in Millville. And I remember the first time I heard you, I was driving into work. You were on in the afternoon, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I heard this guy and I thought, gosh, he sounds awfully good. Of course, back then, what did I know about what sounded good and what didn't? I just assumed that was what sounded good at the time. And it struck my ear. And, and then, you know, that's what I think that was the reason why there was something about you and your approach to what you did on MVB that kind of told me that of all the people there at MVB, and I had contact with a couple of them for different things throughout the, the months, I thought, nah, I don't want to talk to any of them, but this guy, Mike Bo, he's no, a good guy. Here. No, he seems like a good guy. I think I can call him and tell him the predicament I'm in. Yeah. And I just have a feeling that he will do something about it. And damn, if I wasn't right, you did. You yeah. proved me right. I wasn't, I wasn't a real good judge of people back then, except for that one instance. So Now, Christopher Scott was also in the room when I brought, dropped off the news. Christopher Scott was a co-worker of yours. Yes. At BZ, WWBZ. He was on the air when I came. Here, I thought you, that was you. I thought that was you on the air. Christopher yeah. Scott. Then... In my travels down the shore, and I heard you on WMID in Atlantic City, I went, holy, holy, this guy has improved a billion. He doesn't sound anything like, uh, <laughs> and here's why, that's why, Christopher Scott, I thought was your voice. I thought your voice was Christopher Scott's. Uh-huh. And here it turned out that it had nothing to do with you. And I said, man, this guy's going to, WSLT, I think you were. Yeah, in, in Ocean, Ocean City. City. Yep. Mm-hmm. I would hear you down the shore, and that's why it was so cool. When you look back at uh, when we ran into each other in Philly, people that were down in our area 
on radio. Uh, Charlie Mills became the music director at WPEN in its heyday. Our friendship has endured all these uh, years because we're, uh, I don't know, you and I, I love the other guys too, but we just seem to be on the same wavelength most of the time. I don't remember ever having a bad word with you. I mean, I was a night owl after work. I, I mean, I had worked from 2 to 6 p.m. in the afternoon. I mean, that, those are great hours. Yeah, for night owls especially. I got 6 o'clock. I, by 6.02, I'd be sitting in Franny O'Brien, the San Marco restaurant, or one of the many bars in the Marriott Hotel. Uh, then later on, the TGIF Fridays showed up. In the Adams Marco Hotel. Here on Saturdays. Yeah. Well, it's probably a good thing, you know. I've seen, <laughs> we don't I think get your out body of, tells you. Yeah, your we don't get out you. as yeah, right. time to slow down. Well, Mike, the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is because, well, like I said, you know, you truly are my best friend in the world, and we've known each other all these years. And we started out differently. I was never in the military, but I learned a lot about it from you back in the early day and what a sacrifice guys like you made back then uh, gave me a real appreciation for that. And like you said, I mean, you know, we worked together in Philadelphia for all of those years, which kept our friendship rolling along. And we both got married. I had a couple of girls, you and your lovely wife, Debbie, uh, were actually uh, Godfather and Godmother uh, mm-hmm. to our first it's just one remember of those that hat she wore at the yeah year. i do remember that hat. Boy, how can i forget the pink hat, hat. it was a peach she hat. Still has that hat. yeah <laughs> i'm sorry <Go> ahead. <laughs> but i you know we look at you as family and uh my two girls still call you uh, uncle mike and aunt debbie so i can't what else can i say about how our friendship has lasted all these years and i love you i'm you know i'm, I'm not ashamed to say it i love you i love you too good luck with this thing uh, that you're doing this encore Mm -hmm. Now, if somebody hearing this who hasn't, who wants to reconnect with Mike Bo, let's Mm -hmm. say, then you think that's okay. How would they do that? Well, they can go to uh, Mike Bo 1949 at gmail.com. There we go. Mike Bo 1949 at gmail.com. Michael Bo, thank you so much. Thank Debbie for giving it uh, us, giving you to us for the last hour or so. We do appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. I think you and I are going to get together. We're not going to wait till our 50th anniversary. <laughs> no. we're, we're going to get together and go down there and spend some more money down at the Borgata. And maybe- oh, that's what we got to do. <laughs> yeah. August 8th. August 8th. Date. Yeah. All right. We'll shoot for that. Yeah. <laughs> see All you, right, Mike. my friend. Uh, good to see you. And Gabby, thank you so much for putting up with this. You know, Gab, Mike uh, can really tell a story. Yeah. Slowly, with lots of detail, <laughs> but he can he can really set the scene. And that's one of the things that I love about him is that he is a great storyteller. And he also, he can remember stuff that uh, he and I did and were involved in years ago that I, I can't remember. And I don't know whether he's making it up or whether it actually happened that way. But whenever I sort of have a passing memory about something, uh, I'll uh, get in touch with Mike and I'll say, Mike, can you fill me in on the details? And about two hours later, I've got <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what I need. He's a dear friend. And, and so is his wife, Debbie. I've known mm-hmm. them both and love them both for forever. It seems like. Yeah. Um, it was great hearing how the two of you met each other, it, especially because it seems like it was more of a chance 
happening than uh, something that would have probably happened anyway. Yeah, well, you know, I purposely picked up the phone and called him. I was hoping that he would answer and that he would do what I was was in need of, and he did. And that was a that was an appropriate way to meet my best friend for all these years. You know, he came to my rescue then, and he's done that a few times in the ensuing decades as well. So, you know what? Mike mentioned Sue Serio there. Oh I yeah, wonder, yeah. I wonder what I know what Sue's doing. I wonder if we could maybe someday get her on too. Should we maybe give her a call and see what she's up to next week? We should. Yeah. I mean, I worked with Sue as well for a little while there at MGK. So uh, maybe we'll give her a buzz and see what's going on. I know she's busy, but then again, everybody's busy these days. Save money for gas. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Gab. I'm glad we finally got to do an episode with Mike. I know you've been wanting to do it for a long time. So it it was really great to be there and, and watch that conversation happen. All right, you guys have a great week. We'll catch you next Wednesday with a brand new episode of the Encore Podcast.